Hello, my friend. If you're a pastor, this podcast is for you. Let's talk shepherdology. This is episode five of Shepherdology. My name is Dean Taylor, and Shepherdology is for pastors. It's my desire to be a friend to pastors, and I hope that this podcast is helping to accomplish that. Some of you I know by name, and I've met you personally. Others I don't think I've probably met before, and so I thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. And my desire is to reach out to you and really talk to you on a personal level, as if you and I were sitting down together having a cup of coffee and just chatting about life, but eventually getting into talking about what it means to be a pastor and specifically the areas that you may find challenging and even discouraging for you. And so my desire is to come alongside you, be a friend the best I can, and talk about some areas that I hope uh, maybe if you struggle with or find challenging that you can be encouraged by what it is that I talk about. Now, in each of these podcasts, I want to share an encouraging truth. And the encouraging truth I want to share with you today is that there are people who pray for you. Now, I know I can't make this as an absolute statement because I don't know your situation, but I'm going to say that it's more than likely that there is someone in your church who prays for you. As I look back over my time in ministry— One of the most encouraging things to me was when I would hear of someone who prayed for me. And of course, their prayer is effective, and God uses that prayer to give strength and wisdom and all the things that pastors need. But just knowing that people are praying for you is great encouragement. I think of two people that I had in my ministry who especially uh, did this and who were an encouragement to me. One was a dear little widow, and her daughter and son-in-law came to our church. They were members of our church, and she came with them. Her name was Frida, and my wife and I went to visit her in her home one time. And as we were visiting with her, she said, I want to show you something. And she was very elderly and somewhat feeble and just had kind of a, a thin, reedy voice. And she pulled out a little spiral notebook, and the pages of that notebook were worn with use. And she showed us a list of names of people who she prayed for. And there were missionaries and family members and people that you would normally expect to see on a prayer list. But then she showed us that our names and our family members, our children's names, were on that list as well. Now, what a blessing to know that little Frida prayed for us. I had a man in my ministry later on whose name was Ron, and he had been in ministry himself. And he knew the challenges and the hardships, the joys as well as the the difficulties of ministry. And, And he prayed for me, and he would tell me almost every time he saw me, he would say, Pastor Dean, I pray for you every day. And he meant it, and I know he did that. Wow, what an encouragement. Now, again, I don't know you or what your situation is, but I imagine there are probably someone or, or people in your ministry 
whom God has burdened to pray for you and to pray for your family. And what a blessing that is. Now, you may be able to say right now, oh yes, I know who that is, or you might not be able to think of anyone. But as you get to know your people, as you visit with them, as you talk with them, you might hear along the way somebody say, Pastor, we pray for you, and you know they mean it. Someone might even say, Pastor, I pray for you every day. And what an encouragement that is. Now, if, if there isn't anyone that you know of who's praying for you, I would encourage you to ask for it. Maybe there's a deacon or a friend or just somebody in the church that you know. It could be uh, a man. It could be a, an elderly lady that you know is godly and, and walks with God. And you might just want to ask that person, hey, would you pray for me? Would you pray? And you can list out some specific ways for them to pray for you in your personal life, in your ministry. You can even do this from the pulpit and just share your heart and say, folks, I'm, I'm trying to be a, a shepherd and a pastor and to feed and, and lead this flock the best I know how. But would you pray for me? And I'm really sincerely asking you as my people to uphold me in prayer. In fact, if you would do this regularly, even daily, I would greatly appreciate that. And God could use you sharing that and requesting that to burden some people's hearts to pray for you. And it, it's not only encouraging to know they're praying for you, but as people uphold you in prayer, you will find that God bears you up through those difficult times, that he energizes you for preaching the word, that he gives you wisdom in difficult situations. And at the end, you can look back and say, you know, the Lord, I just almost could feel God bearing me up. I was borne up by the prayers of God's people through that situation. And so I encourage you to thank God for the people who pray for you. Remind yourself of them. And then if you aren't aware of any, ask for it. Or even if you are, ask for more people to uphold you in prayer. Now, for this episode of Shepherdology, I want to talk about a pastor's marriage. And a specific area I want to talk about is companionship in a ministry marriage. This is one of the great challenges that a pastor faces. And we're not now talking so much about your church or your preaching. We're talking about your personal life and specifically your relationship with your wife. And I'm assuming that you as a pastor are married, and I'm talking with someone who is in the ministry and who is married. Ministry marriages carry with them great challenges, but we need to learn to think and to act and to make decisions and to face life and to, to function together as one. God intended for us as husbands and wives to be one. And sometimes the challenges of ministry put pressure on that and threaten that oneness, can erode that oneness. And sometimes pastors and wives, their wives, find themselves in really, really problem situations. I want to share an illustration with you that I think helps us to understand this idea of oneness in marriage. I play a little bit of tennis, and my wife and I enjoy playing tennis together, and sometimes we play doubles. And if you play tennis and play doubles, you know that, that there are certain ways that you learn to move together as, as a, a doubles tennis team. And I was reading about an individual who coaches tennis, 
And he says that he actually sometimes ties a rope around the waist of doubles partners. And, and the idea is that as they move around the court, that they move as one. And the rope is supposed to always remain taut. And neither partner should, should pull the other partner off balance. So, so each partner of the, the, the doubles tennis team has to be thinking about the other person. And, and if one partner is moving toward the net, he has to be thinking, what is my partner going to do? And, and as the rope becomes taut, he has to, to communicate or the, the person on the other end has to think, oh, my partner's moving forward. I need to, to respond to that. And the idea is that, that good doubles teams move forward and backward and sideways as a unit. If one moves to the right, the other moves to the right, or moving up or moving back. And, and the ideal position for a doubles team is to have both players at the net, and they're controlling the play. And, and so that illustration of a coach working with a doubles team, I think, helps us to understand a little bit about ministry marriage, about marriage in general, but especially about ministry marriage. Because we can live and think and act independently of one another in marriage. And especially if you're in ministry, there are pressures on your marriage that can cause you to grow apart and even develop a distance between you. And, and the, the husband, the pastor, can be pulling in one direction, and the wife can be pulling in another direction, and pretty soon one has jerked the other one off balance, or one has been left behind, or one's way out front, and the other one is, is not even close by. And, and there has to be this mental and attitudinal uh, approach of oneness and of thinking together, now, this is not just an illustration. This is not just something that's a good idea for marriage. In fact, this is biblical. Marriage should be characterized by oneness and by companionship. Genesis 2, 24 and 25 say this. Now, I know that you as a pastor really know these verses well, but I want you to think of them in relation to your own marriage. This is not for you to preach to somebody. This is for you to listen to and think about in your own marriage. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. The words be joined in Genesis 2.24, be joined to his wife, mean to cling to, stick to, or stay close. One flesh is the idea of oneness on every level. Intellectual oneness, emotional oneness, physical oneness, spiritual oneness. It is the companionship that God intended you to have in marriage. Now again, listen to the words of Scripture, this time of Jesus Christ, who in Matthew 19, starting in verse 4, reiterated this oneness in marriage. And again, I want you to think about your marriage. Jesus answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Jesus was quoting Genesis chapter 2 there. Now listen to what Jesus said. 
Matthew 19, verse 6. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. Now, for a pastor, I'm going to paraphrase that a little bit and say, let not ministry separate. Is ministry separating you, or is it pushing you closer together? Peter said it this way in 1 Peter 3, 7. And again, my pastor friend, think of your own marriage. Husbands likewise dwell with them, referring to your wives, with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. You experience God's goodness. And what Peter is saying is that you experience it together. You are an heir together of the grace of life. As married couples, we should have companionship because it's part of a good marriage. But a ministry marriage is especially susceptible to being pushed and pressured and and experiencing uh, a, a threat to that oneness because of what happens in ministry. As married couples, we should have companionship because it's part of a good marriage. But a ministry marriage has elements that make companionship especially important. Why does a ministry marriage, your marriage as a pastor, have a unique need for companionship? Well, actually, a strong marriage for you as a pastor is a vocational requirement. 1 Timothy 3.2 says that a pastor is to be the husband of one wife, a one-woman man. A pastor is to be exclusively devoted to his wife. You know, in ministry, a husband and wife are a package. I'm not talking about the wife's involvement in ministry, but I'm talking about the fact that this is one vocation where the condition of your marriage can either qualify or disqualify you. It can make or break your ministry. And a husband and wife have to be one in commitment to each other. Have to be one in commitment to each other and one in commitment to ministry as a way of life. Acts 20.28, Paul says to the Ephesian elders, Take heed to yourselves and to all the flock of God. You know, taking heed to yourself includes your marriage. So having your personal life in order is a prerequisite to shepherding the flock and preaching the teach and teaching the word. And this includes and especially applies to your marriage. So a strong marriage is a vocational requirement. But you know being in ministry exposes your marriage to occupational hazards. I read an article by Paul Gibson, a pastor and blogger, and the, the, the article is called, Ministry Will Test Your Marriage. I want you to listen to what Paul Gibson says in this article. And listen carefully, because this is important for you, my pastor friend, to understand, especially about your wife. Listen carefully. If a pastor feels the heaviness of pastoral ministry, so does the spouse. If a pastor is sad and burdened for a church member, The pastor's spouse sees that heartache 
and grieves in their own way. If a pastor is trashed and humiliated by disgruntled church members, the words and snide remarks not only hurt the pastor, they deeply cut the pastor's spouse. If a pastor feels overwhelmed by the burdens of their church to the point of burnout, the pastor's spouse must wrestle with what it means to have a spouse who comes home every night without the emotional energy to engage. Wow. Is that what your spouse has for a husband? One who comes home every night without the emotional energy to engage? What a burden that is for her. See, if you're in ministry, marriage is not a Norman Rockwell painting. Pastoral ministry will test the very bonds of your covenant of marriage many, many times. When you as a pastor feel burdened, your spouse is feeling that same burden and sometimes in even heavier ways. When you are emotionally exhausted at the end of the day and have nothing left to give to your spouse, they're often left feeling lonely. When you as a pastor face the daily care, as Paul said, the pressure of the churches, know that you will often be tempted, my pastor friend, to not care for the one person for whom you should care the most, your beautiful, strong, loving, caring, and sacrificial spouse. Now, those are powerful words from that article. And sometimes as, as husbands, we are not aware of the pressure that our ministry puts on our wives. In fact, as I talk with my wife about this, she shared with me that she has heard pastor's wives say that the attention and energy their husband gives to the church makes the church seem like a mistress. You see, a ministry marriage has a unique need for companionship. And that is because it's a qualification for ministry and because of those occupational hazards that our marriages face. But we also need to be strong in companionship because pastors are supposed to be an example to others. 1 Peter 5.3 says to pastors, be an example to the flock. You see, the way that we conduct ourselves should be a model for our people to follow, and that includes our marriages. And I'm saying that because we have to recognize that's a lot of pressure. In a sense, every Christian marriage should be a picture of Christ and the church, but people look to you and to me in a unique way to be an example to them. And sometimes we feel as if we we have a weakness or or struggle or fail a little bit in our marriage that all of a sudden we've let down a whole congregation. And that's a source of pressure for us. You see, a ministry marriage is exposed to unique challenges. And I'm not telling you anything that you don't already know. Uh, the role of the shepherd is 24-7. Your schedule is not 8 to 5 or first shift or second shift. You have evenings out. You're counseling people when they're available. The ministry is always on your mind. I know when I have taken time to go out with my wife for a dinner date, we end up talking about people and, and issues in the church for sometimes the, the first half of our time together, just to kind of clear the table. And then we can get to talking about our family and, and our relationship. 
And it's just always there. It's always a topic of conversation. You're always on call. You receive word of a medical emergency or a family crisis. You may be on your way to some family activity, and that responsibility is always there, and the, the awareness is always there. And there are people who don't respect your boundaries. Uh, you may live in a small town. It's hard for you to, to even go out to dinner with your wife without ending up in conversation with people from your church. And, and there's always those pressures on us. I read a comment about a pastor and wife getting counseling. I was reading an article about this, and, and one of the comments on the article said that the wife had shared some of her struggles with a lady in the church, and the elders of the church told the pastor, well, we don't want a pastor who's getting marriage counseling, and his ministry there was done. So we can even have a fear of what people will think if we admit that we have problems. And our wives can feel alone. They can feel alone at home because of all the time that we're gone. They can feel alone at church because we're up front and and they're sitting by themselves in a pew. Uh, They can feel alone during fellowship times because um, the husband is off talking with somebody else and they're left standing there. And we just have to be aware of the pressures that ministry can put on our wives. Now, I know it might sound like I'm dealing with a lot of negativity here, and what I would like to do is actually present this topic in two parts. And so we're going to start out with this one and talk about the need for companionship in a ministry marriage. And then on our next podcast, we'll talk about some of the ways of of establishing and, if necessary, recovering companionship in your ministry marriage. And so I'd like you to think about some signals that there might be a problem with companionship in your marriage. And there are some signals that are subtle. So if you notice these in yourself or in your relationship with your spouse, then it's time to be concerned and and to take some steps to recover that companionship. One signal is just feeling distant. This especially happens on the part of the wife. If your wife says, well, I just don't feel close to you. Well, my pastor friend, don't ignore that and don't minimize it. That is a signal that there is a problem with companionship in your marriage. Underlying frustration could be another signal. You're ir- easily irritated with each other. Little little issues turn into big issues. Another signal is that your conversation is shallow. You only talk about day-to-day matters of life and ministry, people, and problems. You don't really talk about each other or about your relationship. Frequent escapism is another signal. You're overly attentive to a hobby rather than your spouse. You're always on social media. You watch a whole lot of Netflix rather than connecting with your spouse. That's another signal of a need for companionship in your marriage. And then this fifth one is one that you should really be aware of and alert to, and it is outside attraction. If you find yourself thinking about or attracted to someone other than your spouse, my friend, that is a clear signal that there's a problem. It might be somebody in your church. It might be a staff member at your church. It might be someone at the gym where you work out. And that is a serious signal that there's a problem. 
Then there are some signals that I would say are like the red light flashing on your dashboard of your car that just should cause you to put the brakes on and take immediate action. One of them is frequent anger, having intense arguments, blowing up and storming out or giving each other the silent treatment, and especially if this happens frequently. Another one is a growing resentment. You just have a deep-seated negative attitude toward your spouse or toward your toward the ministry or toward God. Excessive work is another one. You're just a workaholic. You're never home. An emotional affair. You have an outside attraction with someone that becomes an attachment. You have secret communication with that person. You start sharing your heart with that person. You leave little gifts for that person. That person makes you feel appreciated in a way that your spouse doesn't. You find ways to be together, and you look forward to being near that person. And my friend, even if it hasn't advanced to an all-out affair, that emotional attachment and affair is a danger zone. And then finally, another signal that you can't miss is if you're indulging in pornography. And if you're doing that, there's an obvious, an obvious problem in your marriage. Now, as I said, we've dealt with a lot of negative aspects here. And I hope what this has done is heighten your sensitivity to the need for companionship in your marriage and possibly trigger an alarm that something is wrong and that change is needed. Because oneness in your marriage is God's design for you, whether you are a pastor or not. And oneness is your, in your marriage is a qualification for ministry. And oneness in your marriage is threatened. There's a vulnerability there because you're in ministry. And then there may be some signals, some subtle signals, or some blaring signals that grab your attention, and they should cause you to stop and say, hold on, I need to do something about companionship in my marriage. Now, I hate to leave it there, but I'm reaching the end of my time for this podcast, and we will pick this up again, and I would just encourage you maybe to go back and and look at those scriptures that are referred to at the beginning of the podcast in Genesis chapter 2 and in Matthew where Jesus talks about oneness in marriage, and maybe just meditate on those. And pray and ask God to help you know how to cultivate, how to recover oneness in your marriage. And honestly, you as a pastor know, if, if someone were sitting down across from you in your office and said, Pastor, I feel like we're drifting apart. How, how can we recover oneness in our marriage? You could tell them exactly how to do it because you know. And I'll talk about some of those things, and, and especially in a pastor's marriage, how to recover that companionship next time. But I encourage you, if, if any of these signals are sounding in your mind, that you would think clearly, pray specifically, ask God to guide you and help you recover that oneness. Now, my pastor friend, I don't want to discourage you. In fact, I want to pray for you right now. And I'm going to pray for God to give you the grace that you need in this area. So would you just quiet your heart and would you bow with me? Heavenly Father, this is such a vital area. And 
Lord, some pastors and wives are just coexisting or they're just hanging on and it seems like each day is filled with pressures and problems and burdens. Lord, some may be really struggling. Father, there may be some that are just oblivious. Maybe some men who just aren't even really thinking about their wives. So caught up in ministry and consumed with the responsibilities. Oh, Father, I pray that you will help these men to understand the necessity and the importance of oneness, to have a conversation with their wives about it, to pay attention to those alarms that may be going off, and to give full effort, all-out passionate pursuit of recovering and cultivating and protecting oneness and companionship with the wife that you've given them. Father, help them to recognize problems, help them to recover, help them to grow in companionship with their wife. Lord, I know this is your will, and so I pray for it with full confidence, and I ask for it in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. My friend, thank you so much for spending this time with me here on Shepherdology. And I pray for you, and I pray that God will use the things that I share to encourage and help you. And so thank you for taking the time to allow me to speak to you and share this time with you and to be your friend. If you'd like to connect, you can go to my website, deanhtaylor.com. You can email me at shepherdologypodcast at gmail.com. That's shepherdologypodcast at gmail.com. I'm on Twitter at deanhtaylor63 at DeanHTaylor63. And let's get together again soon, and we'll talk shepherdology.